Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode we're looking back on 2020 and ahead to 2021. Our guest today is Sean Morris, CEO of Privia Health, and we're exploring the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, the strengths and limitations of telehealth, strategies to curb physician burnout, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Sean. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. I, I like this tradition we have of year-end summaries and predictions. There's uh, no shortage of topics to cover about uh, 2020. The, the COVID-19 pandemic was uh, obviously and unfortunately the, the main healthcare issue and story this year. How do you feel doctors and the healthcare industry in general rose to meet this uh, uh, unprecedented challenge? Hey, Morgan, thanks for having me. Always enjoy doing this. Um, Obviously, Sean Moore, CEO of Privia Health. It's amazing. I've been um, here almost three years now. It's been a, um, been it's been probably um, one of the, some of the best three years of my career. Um, I really enjoy what we're doing, and and this year, I you know, I, I think we all I think the unprecedented. We used that term early. I think it just kind of your question about you know rising to the you know to the to the challenge. Physicians by by nature, I mean, I, you know they. They they want to deliver the best for their patients. They want to be partnered with you know with with uh, people that do so and products that do so and solutions that do so. But but really the thing is is I mean they go in every day and they you know they're they're challenged every day. And COVID just brought another dynamic, and and you know they we you know, we we saw hours and physicians around the country and health systems around the country rise to the challenge to something that had, they'd never seen before. I remember that first week, you know, um, you know, all the, all the things we did as an organization to help physicians, you know, just, you know, see their patients virtually and triage their patients, just all the playbooks were written. And we, we shared those with physicians around the country that weren't even part of the organization. So I think that's part of rising to the occasion. Physicians are, are in a, or in a, you know, a club for lack of a better word that they want to help up. They want to help one another take care of patients. And, and I think that's some of the reasons we've had such a good year is, um, you know, we've, we've risen to the occasion to, to, to help our physicians, but you know, they, they've also risen to the occasions to help their community, help their patients, help their colleagues that are not previous colleagues. And um, I, um, I think we're, you know, when we get through this, we're all better for it. And we, it, it sure has helped us be a better organization and we'll, we'll never reach the pinnacle we strive to under, under the, you know, we talk a lot about operational excellence, as you know, and, um, and we talk about supporting physicians and providers and those clinicians that are on the front line, taking care of the wonderful, you know, people out there that they call their patients. And I just think that, um, you know, things like this that we've experienced this year and will continue through the winter till we, you know, and we can talk about vaccinations and all the other things and the challenges and logistics around that, but we continue to learn. And you know what, there'll be really nice things that, uh, that, come, that come out of this as challenging as it was. Certainly many silver linings to look forward to as we uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine. 
Um, and as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, telehealth was certainly one of this year's heroes and uh, uh, breakout stars. What were some of the changes, um, I'm wondering, regulatory or otherwise, that allowed for the industry to best utilize this technology that has been around for a while now? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, gosh, I, I think back and, you know, telehealth's been around a while. It's, um, the technology's been there. There's been some organizations out there. Um, as you know, we big believer in telehealth at Privia, part of our strategy for the last three years. The, um, you know, it, it, we, we believe in telehealth a little different way. We, we want it, we, we think telehealth as a tool of the doctor versus a, you know, versus a, a segment or a, a, that sits out there for, our, you know, for patients to access in a fragmented way that I do just, I think healthcare is fragmented enough without introducing something else that to, to fragment it more. We see it as, um, and I, I really believe COVID presented a, a, a just, it's one of those silver linings we just talked about. It's, you know, telehealth or any tool, and there's going to be many more, and there's been many in the past that that you look back and because, I mean, because it was new, because physicians are busy, because providers are busy, it, it, you know, it takes something to kind of spur them on to embrace it because it's, it's new and they've got to, it's behavioral change. It's got to change workflow inside of practice and so forth. COVID did that. Our telehealth, you know, our, I guess telehealth was, uh, was, was one of those things that COVID did. And it was, you know, as you remember, you know, from a Privia perspective and from a country perspective, I mean, we stood up, I think, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 400,000 visits in 60 days and brought on, you know, 96% of the medical group. And it's not that we hadn't been out there encouraging our, our providers to embrace it, but again, they were busy and, and it took something to do it. And, and even though we had gone out and, and, um, you know, and ahead of all this contracted for Privia docs, you know, parity reimbursement, the government, which is a big payer for everybody, had not been doing that. So COVID then, um, you know, CMS came through and said, we're going to pay this at parity. So, and, you know, that was a, that was a, a great thing that they did. It, it enabled, I think, you know, physicians to see their patients, be paid for it, um, see the benefit of what you know, a, a senior could do, you know, everybody said seniors will never use it. Seniors, we had 63,000 unique seniors that used, used our tool. And we know we were just a piece of that all throughout the country. And I think we had a, a you know, a, in a, somewhere in the 96%, you know, NPS score for lack of a better word of, um, of, the, of liking telehealth. I, I can tell you my, my mother sees her, 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 um, her physicians, she's 89 years old. She sees them, you know, using a, an iPad type model. And she asked me kind of funny throughout COVID said, why haven't we, why haven't we been doing this for years? I really like it, you know, and, and she is not technology savvy. And, and um, so I just, it, um, you know, telehealth was a benefactor of, of COVID. I think we, as a country will be a benefactor of it. I think it is a tool just like a, you know, just like any tool for a physician to use to connect to their patients, especially the chronically ill or even wellness that, you know, there's a lot you can do 
we can talk more about kind of where we think this should go, but um, that, you know, that patients and physicians and that, you know, can use these tools to, you know, for, for the, to see the patient where they want to be seen at the convenience. And I think um, it helped us and helped physicians in general know that, hey, this has to be worked into the, the practice flow. It's not something you can just do on a whim. You have to have process around it. You have to have tools that are interfacing with the platform you're in. And most doctors, and I don't blame them, they don't want to be swivel chairing from one technology to the other. It's it's disjointed. It, it, it's more of an administrative burden. And these all these single point solutions that are out there, that is that is not for the good of the provider. And you know, we we have to really kind of think about that of you know not this everything cannot just be the benefit of the patient of which you know i believe and we believe at privia it's this has to be to the benefit also and improve the well-being of a provider and and if and i'm a huge um, believer if we if we believe that and if we can succeed at that healthcare will be less expensive healthcare will have great quality and we will succeed at reaching levels of patient satisfaction that we've never seen before. But we have to keep in our mind, this has to be also improve the wellness of the provider. As helpful and wonderful as telehealth was to patients, uh, providers, the industry as a whole, there are still limitations uh, and, and opportunities for improvement with this technology. So how do you think telehealth will develop and grow uh, in the coming months and years? You know, it's a great question. We've had teammates at Preview that we've spoken with individuals at CMS, and that is a big concern, as we all know, you know, as they roll out and, you know, they're going to continue parity uh, for telehealth through the, you know, through the pandemic, and rightfully so, but they've got to get that right. And they're going to find ways to monitor that fraudulent behavior. We all know there's going to be bad actors that come through this. That's just, you know, Unfortunately, that's the way the world is. I wish it weren't, but we all know that's the case. And so it's, you know, we've, we've got to kind of find our way through it. There'll be adjustments made. And, you know, is it, you know, and, you know, is, is it, you know, what is parity, you know, for, for, and what are the things and they've just re, you know, they've just introduced some, some additional things they're paying for. And I think, you know, time will tell what that is, but, um, you know, the commercial payers will follow suit. But uh, I, it's um, they're going to have to find they're going to have to find the way. And as providers, we're going to have to embrace some of that. And and um, you know, we'll always we're never going to be a bad actor. We're always going to be a good actor. And and we're going to have to work with with the federal government and payers to do so. And uh, I think and embrace some of that, knowing that we probably won't agree with all their um, their decisions that come down the road. But at the same time. Um, you know, we, we've got to, we, we've got to kind of work with them. So I think there's that, and that's, that's going to be a big one that, that kind of, that we're going to have to kind of think about on, you know, and throughout, I think, um, some of the things around rural healthcare and some of the, the interesting things that are, you know, rural healthcare, rural, you know, we, we have physicians and there's a lot of people that still live in areas that don't have great internet connections. So how do we find ways that it may not be, you know, the, the, the bandwidth for video, um, which is, you know, is which we're, um, which what we like and, and which most physicians like, we've, we've got to find our way through that. There's a, there's a lot of people that deserve great healthcare. 
and you know, and access to specialists that don't live in their communities. Um, there's some there's some areas around rural health that I think we need to think through and, and work on. And but and then I, I actually, you know, the remote monitoring aspect of this and remote diagnostics. I think the, you know, that that's a if it's not a, I don't want to say it's a prediction, but there's 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 so much more we can do as a company as a country around you know wellness healthy um you know diagnostics in the home as well as taking care of people that that may not make sense to come into the office even though they're chronically ill and and um that we can take better care of them because we can monitor them at home we can provide care at home and practice at the top of people's license and um involving their caregivers and so forth there's i just think that is there's um that's a big part of what we should be focused on and what the country should be focused on since you mentioned the the intersection of uh federal government and healthcare, i i want to quickly pivot to discuss the uh the paycheck protection program uh ppp and the cares act uh so despite these uh substantial federal loans and and uh, financial resources, many independent practices are still worried about their near and long-term financial viability. So how, how have national physician groups like Privia supported uh, and, and continued to support these independent practices and physicians? Yeah, um, you know, it's I think back, boy, the early weeks of the pandemic and no doubt volumes were down, at, you know, depending on what type of physician you were, what type of practice you were, a little all over the board. Um, obviously, proceduralists much more than, than um, you know, physicians that were, that were tend to kind of do more evaluation and management. But the, um, and even those, I mean, you know, kind of adult medicine and, and um, you know, all the way to pediatrics. Pediatrics have been slower to come back, I think, for a lot of reasons and that we could, you know, we don't have to get into the details of that. Some of those are obvious, some of them are not. The proceduralist is very, you know, you get that one quickly. But, um, you know, I, I think not just Privia, but organizations such as Privia were able to, you know, all physicians, you had to kind of relook at how are you going to practice at least for that, that those first few weeks and really kind of think about what type of staffing needs you had and what type of technology you, you were sitting on your desk and maybe you didn't have telehealth. And, you know, fortunately for our physicians, they did. And we were able to kind of help them, you know, they, if they weren't using it as a, you know, to see patients, to learn how to triage and just all the things that went into the, those, you know, those first 400,000 visits over that eight week period is phenomenal. And there were, you know, there's organizations like us that were able to kind of, to kind of stand some of that up, even if they didn't have telehealth. So no doubt having the ability to have, you know, access to talent and technology to kind of help you think through that and, and do it in an efficient manner. Because think about, if you were having to think about how to do all that while trying to figure out how to see a patient, I don't even, you know, that is truly, um, that would be really difficult. You know, I, I don't care if your practice of, a, especially for solo, but a practice of six or even a practice of a hundred or 150. I mean, it just, that'd be really difficult if you didn't have a partner such as Privia or, or someone else to kind of help you do it. Um, you know, I, you know, then you kind of roll forward. 
you know, no doubt our doctors, you know, were able to perform better, get back faster, have access to technology. We've seen that. I, I, I can't even imagine the challenge for practices to sit out there and I'll say alone because some of them are alone and, um, and think about, you know, even just doing the paperwork and filling out the applications and doing things like that. Just, you know, we were there to help. I, I mean, these things were very burdensome and understanding the complexity of rules of, around audit and all that's to come. I, I mean, just what you might have to pay back, what might have, what might be forgiven. And, you know, at least, you know, we're an organization that's there to help. And, you know, some, some, some practices don't have that. And that's, that's tough. That is really complex and tough. Going through this alone without a strong partner would certainly uh, uh, make an already difficult situation even more difficult. Um, on a related note, the, the Academy of Family Physicians reported that nearly two-thirds, uh, 64% of physicians in America experienced intensified symptoms of burnout uh, due to and during this pandemic. What can be done to to alleviate this issue? Yeah, just um, you know, think about burnout. Just think, you know, like you and I, and just seniors, and you know, the life we're leading more at home, and physicians are having to. They're seeing it in their patients, and obviously want to, you know, they want their patients to be better, and they want to have the tools necessary to do so, and and you know, and you know, I think administrative burden is a real issue for physicians today and it's just you know uh, you know just the way healthcare, the the times we find ourselves in and all the different payer streams and all the different types of value-based arrangements you they that they have to think that if they're on their own after they're having to deal with it there is no doubt that raises this this physician burnout and how it's measured there's just no doubt and and, you know, I think, um, I think when you and I talked last year about, about this and the need for partnerships in healthcare, and then I still think that's partnerships with um, partners that, you know, we may not have thought about partnering with two and three years ago, like health systems and larger physician organizations and associations of physicians and how we deliver. I, I think that's still, that's still true today. But, I, you know, I just kind of goes back to the last question you answered. I just it's hard for me to fathom just sitting out there in a small practice or a practice of 150 even and trying to do this on your own. And, but, uh, you know, that's why I love the Privia model of, 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 you know, having that autonomy to practice in the four walls and partnering with an organization such as us to bring tools and talent to help you kind of offset that. Now, you know, I can't change the whole healthcare system all over US, in the U.S., but boy, with our with our physicians and really helping them become the better clinicians, you know, better physician leaders to help other physicians in their communities. If we can do that and really take this whole kind of, you know, can we get rid of burnout? I don't know. I you know, I'd love to think we can, but I think it's just like we're working in a tough environment. But if we can alleviate it some and really kind of what I say you know, have the goal of bringing back the practice and the joy of practicing medicine, of why doctors went into medicine. If, if that's our goal, and if we think about that as a goal, and if we just keep it up, there's our, you know, our kind of North Star guiding light. If, and and um, I think, you know, if we believe that, 
and we shoot for that, we can at least kind of alleviate this best we can. And it's, um, we, we, you know, we all have, we've chosen healthcare as a career and doctors chose the practice of medicine and it's, it's, it's complex and it's not going to get easier, but if we can, like I said, keep that as our North star and continue to bring tools and talent and, you know, and, and, and even an advocacy into the federal government and to the payer community, you know, that, you know, the practice of medicine, you know, it's not just a science, it's an art. And there, you got to remember, if you want to lower healthcare cost, if you want to improve quality and, and bring differentiated consumer, you know, experience, you have that the fourth leg of that stool is you have to improve the well-being of a clinician. And that I just, I believe that. And I think that's what we should be focused on. Totally agree with you there. Uh, supporting physicians is uh, key to supporting patients and improving the industry. You can't do one without the other. Uh, looking back to this time last year, uh, you and I discussed the growing popularity of uh, quote-unquote novel partnerships and complementary strategic alliances in the healthcare M&A world. How did this trend end up playing out in 2020? And uh, can we expect more of the same or something different uh, for 2021 and beyond? Yeah, it's um, interesting. I know we talked about it last year. and I am a massive um, believer in the independent doctor and running a small business and bringing them the tools necessary to be wildly successful. I just think that is such a honorable thing to do. Now, the other end of that, there's physicians that have chosen to be affiliated in some capacity with another practice or with health systems. And Health First, we partnered with them a couple of years ago, and that partnership has been wildly successful. I mean, it's just, we could go on and on and do a whole podcast about that. And but and I know you've done some of those and with some of the, the Health First folks. So, but I think interesting, and let, let's kind of tie that back to COVID and what we what we've seen. It's one of those uh, again, kind of, you know, we've we've had because of our experience and success with a partner such as Health First, we've had lots of health systems reach out to us, and because previous such a capital efficient model, they've come to us and said, "Is there something about the model that?" would work in our environment. So we, we've, you know, meaning I'm speaking from the health system's point of view, we've tended to employ doctors in the past. We don't, that's not, that's something we may continue doing, but boy, there's this, there's this COVID has opened our eyes to, and we know there's a whole community of independent doctors out there, maybe because of our balance sheet being a health system, maybe we have chosen not to employ more, or maybe we're gonna slow that down or maybe even we don't want to employ the physicians we have. We've had all kind. We've had discussions across that entire continuum with health systems coming to us and saying, "Wow, the Privia model. We see it's been successful with independence. It's being successful with you know employees of a health system. Does can that be a solution for us? Those discussions tend to be very long. Health systems tend to be you know complex." I think we're very good listeners and we, 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 you know, if, it, if, if, if their strategic vision is not to 
you know, lower healthcare costs and support physicians, they probably don't align with us, but boy, the, all the ones that there's, you know, there are very forward leaning health systems that are thinking just like that. And they're being, they're being attracted into an environment that could it be a joint venture? Could we help them with their physicians all the way to even privatize them, but have them be aligned very closely back to a health system. So lots of different partnership mechanisms, mechanisms in that. You need to partner with with um, organizations that think like you do and bring things to the table that that you don't have access to. Looking ahead to 2021, uh, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden uh, will become America's 46th president. So what do you think any president, regardless of political affiliations or party, should know about the healthcare system uh, and what work needs to be done? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, everybody always says the healthcare system's broken. You know, it's not, it, 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 what it is, we don't get the outcomes that we want to get. Now, and there's a lot of reasons. Super complex. Everybody underestimates the complexity of the United States healthcare system. It is, it is no doubt, in my opinion, one of the, if not, the most complex industry, and it's driving 18, 19% of GDP. So you start making wild swings and changes in healthcare as, as the president of the United States, you're affecting the biggest, I think probably the single largest piece of, of GDP in the, in the country. So, um, so no doubt they look at it that way and they have to balance all those things. And but at the same time, it's not broken, it's, it, but it, it functions in the way we've incentivized it to do so. We've had a purely, you know, if you go back a few years, 100% fee-for-service, the more I do, the more I make mentality in healthcare. That is changing. It's never, it, it's, um, I've been in business 30 years, and, and I was doing fully capitated medical groups 30 years ago, and we got great outcomes, but, and we all thought, you know, oh, this is going to change rapidly. It is this is a very complex, slow to change. Um, value-based healthcare is not a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian. It, there's no, it is value-based healthcare is going to survive and grow regardless of who sits in that office. Um, it's, uh, it is, we, we should all desire it. We should, it, it should move faster than it moves. And it, I think it probably should move faster than we all want it to. But um, it's just, it, it's, it, it, go, it comes back to the complexity. Healthcare is undoubtedly complex. Um, but amid that complexity, there are many uh, very exciting, very promising initiatives and, and changes underway. Uh, and, and let's hope 2020 was an anomaly of a year. So what are the main takeaways from this, uh, I hate to use this, this word again, but unprecedented year, and what trends excite you the most looking at 2021 and beyond? It gets back to probably a little bit of a summary of kind of all the things we talked about. Um, no doubt COVID is going to be front and center. If, you know, if we have, um, you know, if there's, you know, if there's three things you got to worry about the next few months. COVID is one, two, and three. I mean, because, uh, you know, just, you know, there's you know, the 
that we all know there's vaccines out there and they're coming and but the logistics of that's going to be complex and you know you know the cdc's talking you know they're, they're kind of laying down who they believe should get them first and no doubt that there's going to be some you know that that'll be kind of state driven it looks like so there will be there will be um puts and starts i mean it's just it, it's it, it won't go smoothly regardless of, of again who sits in that top seat and so there's that that'll be that'll be challenging um i i think the silver linings out there will be out of this will be you know no doubt um we're, we're much further along in aspects of, of what we've talked about on this podcast of you know the the tools that are going to be necessary to take care of people in the future um, i think it there's been some bright lights shown on some things that we um, need to do better uh, um, i think we need to be doing investing in remote monitoring and i think we need to be thinking about unique partnerships with maybe people that you know or organizations that necessarily we might not have partnered with earlier and no doubt we're having some of those discussions um, I think, you know, just based on our pipeline, not, not pipeline in, in industries or in competitors, but I know physicians are thinking about the future differently. And um, I mean, just, you know, we've learned a lot about how to implement, um, you know, remotely and in person and how to do that well. So just, it is, and I think um, things like the, you know, just, Really, if you kind of think about digital health in general, it is going to be, there's going to be a lot of investment dollars flowing into it. You know, we'll have to be able to parse through the ones that are those single point solutions that may even create more administrative burden for, for doctors. And I would, you know, I think buyer beware. I mean, for the it's not the slickest, coolest thing out there might not be when you try to kind of begin to kind of fold it into the workflow of a clinician. And um, I, I think we, ha we have to be aware ourselves of that. We have to think about, you know, the, the wellness of the person delivering patient care. And, did, you, know, it, you know, how do these things all kind of fold together how do they keep, how do we keep that in mind and keep that, you know, that quadruple aim, like you said, top of mind. If, you know, you know, our goal should be to always bring healthcare costs down. It's just the right thing to do. Keep quality at the first and foremost, you know, how do we raise that, maintain that at, at all levels. And then push the envelope on patient experience. Patients, Maybe, I mean, they, sometimes what they want may not be best, but, but at the same time, how do we continuously improve on that patient experience, but never lose sight of if we are not thinking about the doctor, the provider, and that care team in support of them accomplishing those other three goals, we won't reach the pinnacle of those three goals. And I just wholeheartedly believe that. And I think these single point solutions out there don't have all that in mind. And, and I think um, we, we always have to be, can you think of who is our customer and who is the beneficiary of that customer clinic, you know, that provider and physician delivering great outcomes. And if we can do that, we will accomplish those three.
and it'll be some culmination of those three. And you know what? We as a company will do well. You know, we will do well by, you know, by clinicians and providers and physicians doing well. And if we just keep that in mind and always strive for, for being operationally excellent, because we'll never reach it. It just gets always continuously improving. And um, you just, you don't have to have the Ferrari. You, you have to have a, you have to have a, and it, but it's got to be better than getting you to point A to point B. And you've got to always try to improve it. And, um, and uh, just always continue to keep, you know, keep that North Star in mind. And I just, uh, I think that's what we should be striving to do. Certainly a uh, lot to look forward to. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for coming on the back on the podcast today. Uh, I always have a blast with these. And I will see you again next year as we talk about uh, 2021 and look ahead to 2022. Greatly appreciate it, Morgan. I always enjoy it. This concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Privia Health CEO Sean Morris for joining us again today. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I will see you next month, next year, for another episode of The Break Room. Thanks again. Stay tuned.